Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. I would argue that everybody has the ability to show up in what I call a more magnetic way, but we're unwilling to elevate our awareness for how we show up right now. Welcome back to episode 21 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Huge thanks to our sponsors and friends over at Pledge who are making this episode possible. Today, I'm interviewing Heather Sager. Heather is a coach, speaker, trainer, and teaches people how to be magnetic on camera something that all of a sudden is extremely relevant to all of us, right? Well, in this episode, Heather shares her wisdom around how we need to be showing up to one-on-one conversations, fundraising events, and any other presentation to have a real impact. We talk about finding your authentic voice. And what I love is that Heather is honest about how everyone's authentic voice is different, but there are ways to find yours. We also talk about perfectionism and trust building and what components of our communication really matter. I was thrilled to hear about Heather's experience in the nonprofit sector, something I didn't know when I invited her on the show. This wisdom is critical for all of those end of year Zoom calls and to launch you into 2022 with confidence and strategy around your virtual communication. I can't wait for you to learn from Heather, so let's go meet her. All right. Welcome, everyone. I am thrilled to be here with Heather Sager. I'm going to let her define her work for herself, but I just want to say I'm such a fan of the way she talks about public speaking and energy transfer, both on video and in person. And I think she just has so much wisdom for the nonprofit sector around how we need to be showing up to both like one-on-one fundraising conversations and also our fundraising events and presentations in general. So Heather, just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what brings you to this moment in time? I am so thrilled to be here. This topic, we'll probably get into this. This topic is very near and dear to my heart for a variety of ways. My start at public speaking was in the nonprofit sector. So I'm sure we can jam out on that today. But for those who are new, we have met before. I'm a speaking coach specifically for online entrepreneurs. So I work with business owners who are looking to sell products, services, digital courses, some lane of revenue in the online space, which is very warm, new, and welcomed for many business owners over the last 18 months. So I help people get better at speaking on camera, but also facilitating sessions or teaching courses, essentially taking the knowledge that's in their head and articulate it in a way that not only teaches other people, but 
persuades them to take action. So for business owners, it's not just about speaking well, it's about selling themselves and their services. So speaking is more of a function of marketing, not just a technical skill. So that's what I do. I'm a former executive. So I very much know all about budgetary things and conversations for companies saying yes to things. And I'm a former vice president of a nonprofit. So that's where a little bit of a warm love for the nonprofit sector comes into play. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I didn't know that at all. So that's just such fun overlap. It's so cool actually having this show and bringing people on that I think are outside of the sector. And then they tell me about their intimate relationship to a nonprofit. So yeah, that's awesome. So I just want to dive right into the nitty gritty here around how people feel, even about what you just said in terms of like selling a product, right? Or selling yourself. I can hear the cringes around people's discomfort. So talk to me about that. How do you think about and frame out what it means to show up that way? We can take this in so many different directions, but let me just address the elephant in the room around that selling piece. We're talking about fundraising. We're talking about, it feels like convincing people to turn over their precious dollars and that can feel uncomfortable. And I'm a little cheeky when I speak. So I often term this as when we start talking about money, that's the moment people start clenching their butt cheeks, their whole tone and mannerisms change. And what may have felt like a really natural conversation, it's it's like when you're, I don't know, when you're on a date talking to someone and they say the wrong thing and you're like, oh man, game over. Like this date is not going anywhere. That's what happens a lot of times when people have to talk about money specifically or asking for money. And for me, what I like to tell people is, is this idea that when you're communicating to other people, you're, you've probably heard this before, you're selling all the time. You're selling your ideas, the way that you're explaining things to other people, you're getting people to either agree or disagree with you. And the more comfortable we get at using our voice to explain our ideas, to gain buy-in from others or help them understand different perspectives, the more comfortable we get with articulating our ideas and thoughts the more comfortable we actually get with selling. But the struggle that I see so many people have is they go to say something and it doesn't sound like it did in their head, which always sounds so much dreamier and so smooth. And and then we go to say it out loud and it's like this big giant word vomit situation. And we're like, oh man, that didn't go according to plan. And then we berate ourselves going, man, I I suck at thinking on my feet or I'm terrible at those like one-on-one conversations or whatever other negative thing we say. So here's the most important thing that we have to remember. The ideas that we have in our head, when we think through what we're going to say, where we imagine how a scenario is going to go, we have to recognize that speaking in our heads, thinking in our heads is not actually talking. So when we dream up what those conversations are, when we have all these wonderful ideas, those ideas are not a transcript of words. It's not like, oh, I'm populating the transcript to recite when I open my mouth. No, it's a combination of images and words and memories and things we can't even describe because you can't put words to them. So of course, when we go to speak, it doesn't really make sense or sound the same because we're not speaking in images and all that other interesting brain language. We have to start understanding that speaking, selling, communication, it is simply a skill, but it is a skill that's combination of technical components, but there's also a lot of emotional components and feelings around communication. And that's where it starts feeling a little messy. Okay. (laughs) There is so much in there. And I just think what you were saying at the very beginning, I hear this from 
fundraisers all the time, executive directors. I say like I became an accidental fundraiser, getting promoted in nonprofit and then having big fundraising expectations come with that. And I hear all the time, I can go out there and I can talk about my program all day long. It feels so smooth, so natural, but then exactly like you said, the moment it transitions to a fundraising conversation, they become stumbly or they don't know exactly what to say or really when it's almost exactly the same thing. Maybe there's one sentence difference, which is, would you like to get involved? Here's where you pay me. Like yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But it's like every speaking skill, they feel like they had five minutes before when they were just talking about the program, all of a sudden is gone now that there's this moment of discomfort in the conversation for them that's filled with, I think, as you're suggesting too, beliefs and thoughts and perceptions that we have about money and worth and all of these things that surround that uncomfortable moment. And so then the speaking skills go away. And so I think what I hear you saying is that that piece of it, that piece where we feel uncomfortable also needs to be practiced and said out loud over and over and over again for us to start to develop our comfort around that part too. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even argue it needs to be practiced most, right? Because the things that we're least comfortable with are the things that we need to build resiliency for. So imagine an athlete. So think about an Olympian or a professional level athlete. Let's say, I don't, I'm not a big sports person, so forgive me with this analogy. We're going to go with it. It's probably going to be <laughs> awkward <do> and hilarious. <laughs> but I, let's just imagine a football player, right? Think about a football player when they're back in high school and they have this like, oh man, I really want to go pro one day, or I know I really want to go big. I don't know, whatever that is, right? (laughs) So you have football players, they have different positions, right? They're going to specialize in one position, but there's probably going to be certain plays or certain skills that they aren't as naturally talented in. And what we have to think about is there's this one thing about honing in on natural talent, right? We want to cultivate that, but there's also other skills that you have to develop that are right outside of your quote unquote natural talent. A really good athlete, a really good gymnast, a really good, whatever, pick a professional craft. They practice the things that do not come as naturally to them so that they can elevate those skills so they can perform under pressure. Because here's the thing, we talk about this idea of speaking. A lot of people that I work with have compartmentalized the idea of, oh, speaking is for stages. Mm. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here's the thing. You talk to people every single day, but for some reason, when we put a spotlight on it or put you on a stage or give you an audience, it becomes weird because the pressure of quote unquote public speaking. So what I do, I kind of shake things up on the head, uh, on this head for entrepreneurs where I talk about even if you have no plans on speaking on a big stage, we're going to train for the stage. We're going to train for the Olympic level competition to make those everyday moments when you speak to people, when you ask for money, when you ask for the sale, when you get an objection and it's uncomfortable because they're actually asking about the value. We're going to train for the stage so that those moments seem like a cakewalk. That to me is why I focus so much on speaking and why I've said, oh, I'm a speaking coach, not just a business coach, because I want people to train for the quote unquote big stage so that the other stages in life, a stage is just a place to share your message. We want those to feel easier. So that's what I want people thinking about is you have to practice those skills. So those uncomfortable moments, that's going to require more practice on your part. And the more you practice, the more comfortable they'll become. 
Okay. So I want to make sure we go back to that piece around when someone is challenging the value around something. I think that's really important, but maybe even before we go there, can we talk about the energy piece a little bit? Because one of the things I love that you talk about is you call yourself a speaking coach. I think people, when they hear that might think that is really focused on the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I hear this from clients all the time. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I ask the wrong question? What's exactly the right thing to say if they asked me this question, right? They spend so much time, like all of our perfectionist tendencies get activated in these moments of vulnerability. And something I work with clients around a lot is that's not the question, right? The question is how do you show up with the right energy, the right magnetic energy, connected energy in those moments. So then if you stumble over a word, no one's going to remember that. It doesn't matter. You ask a different question because what people are experiencing right now, what they're actually feeling right now, more than the words you and I are saying is the energy that's happening in this conversation. Right. And let's define that a little bit, because I think the challenge that people have, I I hear this all the time when we boil down to what's the real fear behind public speaking. So let's call that out real quick. Even if somebody doesn't have a big fear of audiences, they might have a fear of being on camera on a Zoom call, or maybe you have to do recorded video for your fundraising efforts. And recorded video freaks me out, used to freak me out like crazy. But there's a fear around that, right? Let's normalize it. Public speaking is a number one fear in the world. Jerry Seinfeld has this joke around how more people would rather be in the casket at a funeral than delivering the eulogy. Uh, We're freaked out by it. And when I dig into it, the number one thing I hear from my students and clients is the real fear is that they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They're afraid that they're going to go down a rabbit hole or their ideas aren't going to make sense or they're going to look stupid. The whole thing comes back to they don't want to look like a quote unquote idiot. This is what they tell me. And we dig into this and we say, okay, let's go behind this. And there's this disconnect between how we expect ourselves to show up perfectly. But I want you to imagine for a moment when you see other people show up so perfect and so grammatically and phonetically or whatever connect, there is an element of distrust that you can't actually put your finger on. You're like, I don't know what it is about that chick, but I don't don't like her. When people are too perfect, we're just like, "Mm, there's a distrust that happens. However, we have this expectations for us to be perfect. And in fact, if you just listen to or read the transcript of this interview, you're going to hear, I say the wrong words or I mispronounce and I fumble and it's all well and okay because I just keep rolling. And it's exactly what you're talking about is it's not just about the words we use. Well, the right words matter and the wrong words will get you in trouble, but the words are just a piece of it. When we communicate, we actually communicate in three different ways. So when we talk about energy, we can define it as the how we communicate in three different lanes. It's the words we say, it's how we say those words, and then it's all of our nonverbals. So our facial expressions, our hand gestures, our posture, if we're standing, if we're fidgeting with our toes, if we're pacing back and forth, or if we're playing with our jewelry, all of that sends messages of I'm not confident, I'm questioning myself. Versus in our voices, when we deliver information, it's through our tone, it's through our pace. I'm a fast talker, for sure. It's whether or not we breathe or pause, it's if we use filler words, if we're loud or really meek and soft, if there's an inflection in our voice after every sentence where it's more of a question and we're doubting ourselves, or that timidness, like I said, in our volume, all of those things communicate energy. I like to talk about this as um, each of us has to define what I call our own speaking persona. 
where we get to determine how do we want to be seen by other people? How do we want to be experienced? What's the energy we want to bring? Because I think what's really important is when they hear us talk about energy, it's not about matching what you do, Mallory, or how I talk or using my weird clenchy butt cheeks and really crazy hand gestures. And I speak in a really specific way, right? I've trained myself over the years to speak in this way. And you have your own element of energy that you bring. But someone listening, they might not be as, I don't know, I was going to say witty and humorous. I don't know. Like whatever it is, right? When you think about your personality, you have to define that for yourself around how do you want to come across? Do you want to come across polished, professional? Do you want to be genuine? Do you want to be friendly? Do you want to be funny? Do you want to be inspirational? Do you want to be serious? We have to think about how do we want other people to see us so that we're not trying to become a puppet or a parrot of someone else that we admire. We have to get better at asking the question. It's not just about having bigger energy and being louder with jazz hands. That's not the goal. Because if that's not authentic to you, it's actually going to become a repelling mechanism for the people listening to you. So what we have to think about is how do we want other people to experience us? And the way that I like to ask this question is say, when you are at your absolute best around your friends or your favorite business clients or people that you work with inside your nonprofit, when you're at your best, let's say, deliver an ajiving presentation that has nothing to do with money, right? You're just talking when you're really comfortable. What are three words that people would use to describe you? What are those words when you're at your best? And then you have to ask yourself the question, how do I ensure that my tone and the warmth of my voice or the pace of my voice or my presence through my eye contact or my body language being tall and confident versus hunched over and scared? How do these things all come together to portray that image that you just said was you at your best? Because- I would argue that everybody has the ability to show up in what I call a more magnetic way, but we're unwilling to elevate our awareness for how we show up right now. So it's less about saying, what are all the tips and tricks, Heather, around what should I say or how should I hold my hands or we can geek out on all of those things. But what I always say is a starting point for people is to ask the question, how are you when you're at your best? And then you start asking, What does my voice sound when I'm confident? What does it sound like? What does it look like for me to be compassionate and genuine versus nervous and terrified? I think we're a lot smarter and we know what that sounds like and then we can start practicing it. So that's a lot to unpack under the umbrella of energy. But these are the kinds of conversations that I like to have with people because it's just that awareness paired with intention for how we actually want to be seen that becomes this big, almost like the clouds part. And it takes the weight off of feeling like we need to show up in a certain way. That's actually not us. Okay. I'm obsessed with (laughs) you (laughs) because I think one of the things I just want to go back to and sort of double click on that you just said is that perfectionism piece and the distrust, because I've never heard someone say that before. And Nonprofits put so much pressure around the no like trust factor, but their perception of no like trust is perfection, right? They're like, the donors will trust me when we're perfect. And then they become that robot. And so when you said it, my whole body got covered in chills. It felt so true to me. I'm like, yes, when I see some LinkedIn learning with some like robot woman in a suit, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't know how to at least make this real. Maybe what you're saying isn't 
untrue, but it's not relatable in a way that can be true for me. I can't even learn in that way. And so I think that is really interesting what you said around the perfection and the distrust. I hope people really hear that and recognize that, look, if you're listening to this podcast right now, that means you are following along with my journey in some way. And that means you witness a lot of imperfection all the time, but you're here and you're listening to this conversation because there has been trust built and it hasn't been because I'm always perfect, right? On these podcasts all the time, guests are like, actually no Mallory. (laughs) And my producer's always like, do you want to take that out? And I'm like, absolutely not. That's part of these conversations, right? I'm learning too. So I really love that you said that. The other thing I think is so interesting is that piece around identifying how we want to be perceived and being intentional there. But also, I'm curious what you think about this. The other thing that came up for me when you were saying that was, okay, yes, for your kind of ideal audience. And then recognize that even though when you make those choices and you have that intentionality around how you present, it's not going to work for everyone. And you still might get some quote unquote negative feedback from people about how you present and how do you help people navigate that? Or do you even agree with that? Okay, this is such a beautiful thing that you bring up because I do think there's this balance, right? Especially when you're in the lane of fundraising, right? Part of what you have to acknowledge is you have to be your authentic self, but you're also representing an organization. So you have to blend your authentic self of how you want to be seen. But then you also have to ask the question, how is the organization's brand going? So for example, when I worked in my former company, so I worked in the medical space for 10 years, we worked with private practice doctors and my company, we did the business side. So I taught them about training, about team development, about selling, which was a very uncomfortable thing for doctors. So I had my own way of speaking. I am a little cheekier. I'm okay with swearing sometimes. I use really plain spoken, some would call it pedestrian examples, But the company that I work for was a little more polished and elevated. And so I had to be very mindful that, okay, I'm not swearing on stage. I'm not using any crass language. That's like, that's off the table, right? I can do that with my friends, but there's no place on that for a stage. I had to blend my own authentic personality with a brand. So that's the first thing we have to acknowledge is when you're working in an organization or you're an ambassador on behalf of an organization, it's not just about you. It's about the brands. I would do the same activity for the organization itself of saying, what are the words, not just that define who we are, but how we want people to experience our organization. What are those words? Because they they might be slightly different and you have to figure out what that overlap is for how you authentically relay those words. So that's one piece of it. But then you bring up this other really fascinating piece, which is other people, right? We have to attract money in order for this organization to be funded. So we had to balance those things. And what we have to get comfortable with is the idea that we're not for everyone. And as you said, not everyone's going to love us. And what I find to be really helpful, especially as an entrepreneur with my own brand, um, but also thinking when I work with other brands, it actually helps me have that layer of the brand that isn't me. To be able to say, they're not rejecting me. They're not rejecting and saying, I'm a terrible person. And quite frankly, I'm not trying to be like friends with them, right? It's a business brand that you're building. It allows you to take the sting off of it a little bit. But it also, what I find is when you show up way more authentic and you really hone into those three words and show up in that way, the people who it jives with, they will be far more generous because they're going to stand up and say, yes, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to throw my money behind. 
So it's like a pendulum swing. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt if somebody says something negative or like for me, I remember I'd get feedback from people being like, you talk way too fast. Okay. I hear it every day. For, for you. Okay. That's great. <laughs> and there are times and places where I slow down my rate of speech. For example, when I'm speaking in Denmark to a group of people who use English as a second language, mm. I functionally need to be more mindful of that. But for the everyday person, there's a replay. You can turn it on half speed. This is mostly <laughs> how I speak. And I try to vary it a bit. Right. But that feedback, I took it. And mm-hmm. if I wasn't really comfortable with how I communicate, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to relearn how to speak. I have to learn how to talk. It would just be very painful. So I can take that and say, is that true for me? Do I need to make a change? Or can I say, thank you so much for the feedback and then move back over to the lane that I feel comfortable in, which is part of my brand is I'm a fast talker. We're going to walk fast and act like we know what we're doing. That's like mantra in life. Uh, so you have to do the same thing for you too, right? The feedback's going to come. It's going to sting. But what I like to do is look at the results. So say, are we hitting our numbers? Are we getting good feedback? Generally speaking, is the negative feedback far and few? And if that's the case, it means that you're big enough to be able to get that noise back. So mm. I would say you're on the right track. Yeah, I really like that. I think when I was inside nonprofits, I was much more nervous about not being for everyone and niching down even what our donor community looked like and who was going to connect with our mission and who was going to connect with our brand as an organization. I think sometimes we let the mission because we want, we deeply want everyone to care about the mission because we care so much about the mission. We have a really hard time letting people go and saying that is not for them. And so I think this is just such an important point. But when we watch organizations get clear about who they are, represent that brand clearly, both in themselves and in how they represent the organization, we watch that magnetism, as you say, happen. Their donors know those are our people. That's our organization. And I will have people say, you're too hyper. And I'm like, okay, well, the good news is there are a lot of other fundraising consultants out there who are way less energetic than me. And so you have your pick around the energy that you resonate with and what's going to work for you as a fundraiser. I want everyone to find the right people for them, the right organizations for them. But I only have that distance because sometimes those comments are said in mean-spirited ways. And so I think the only way I can process those is that what you said, which I just want to hammer home this word, is like intentionality. Like I have intentionally and consciously chosen how I show up and who I want to be. And because that has come from a real place of choice, when somebody doesn't agree with it, that's okay. It doesn't work for them, but I've chosen this. I'm not going back, reanalyzing everything I do because I know who I am. First Tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. 
I think a simple question that I've learned over the years that I use in quite a few different ways is when I hear feedback that instantly stings or I have to like get defensive on, I have to pause and ask the question, is this helpful? Is there truth in this? And for me, like this goes back to side note here for a moment. When I was really young, part of my early journey is I did a lot of volunteer work when I was a teen because my mom died of cancer and we started a nonprofit when I was a teenager in my mom's name. That's where my nonprofit work came from. And when I was like 19 or 20 trying to figure out how to pay for college, I decided to make a run at the Miss America organization. I competed for Miss America and that's how I paid for school. But a big part of that was fundraising and all this to say, I remember this very vivid moment where I, it was after one of the local pageants that I did, one of the moms came up to me and she's like, oh, you just did so stellar. It was so wonderful. I think I got second runner up. And she looked at me up and down and she's like, if only you would have picked a different evening gown. And I'm like 19 years old, right? This grown adult woman who's the mother of another contestant said that to me. And I remember at that point, luckily I was pretty secure in who I said, I remember saying to her, I just like bit my tongue and I was like, thanks so much for your feedback. And then I see my dad, who's like the most shy person on the planet, so least confrontational. I see him step up next to me and he just looks at her and he goes, walk away. <laughs> Which was, I was like, yeah, dad. But I, I say this because if I would, like I had to have that moment of, is this feedback helpful? No, that was straight up hurtful and it was all about her. And I use this illustration all the time because that you can see that as face value. Like that was a petty comment. Like it gets you up and be like, who says that to someone? But instantly when we get feedback negative um, from other people, we instantly have that defensive mechanism. What I want us to start thinking about is saying, ask the question, is this helpful? And is there any splinter of truth that I can take from this? And if you think about it and say, no, release it. But if you can say, let's say a comment, like I said earlier, somebody goes, Heather, you speak too fast. I could be like, "Ah, no, I just talk fast. That's me. You get over yourself. Or I could say, is there truth to this? You know, Mm -hmm. I do talk fast and it's a good thing. However, I do recognize that sometimes it makes it hard for people to stick with me. So how could I make this true in a way that works for me? It's where you take ownership of the feedback, where it's no longer their petty comment. It's now your information to be able to use if you choose. So I think thinking about it in that way is release the negativity around it and just say, what can I pull from this if there's truth? And then steal it and make it yours. Now it becomes your thing to do something with versus somebody else's opinion. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. I mean, that's been something I've thought about with I get the fast talk feedback all the time. And it is a part of my personality, but it has been something where when I'm speaking live, where they can't just slow it down, the recording, I'm much more sensitive to it because I do want to make sure people aren't feeling lost and frustrated. And so I think you're right, hearing feedback in a way that isn't defensive, but then allows you to filter through, is this true? And then what do I want to, okay, it is true. Is it problematic or is there a way I want to address it? And where I think just those sort of layers are really good. How you break that down. Yeah. So you said that piece around that people would rather be inside the casket than giving the eulogy. And I read this statistic recently too, that women in general, 61% of women said they would rather talk about their own death than money. And so I think about the combination of what you said around public speaking and money and how fundraising is just like this 
crucible moment of our biggest fears coming together. When you're working with entrepreneurs, it sounds like you sometimes start with the hardest moments and then work back from there. So would you say for like new executive directors or start with working through their speaking around money in particular, because everything else is going to be easy from there? Or how does that component work into your work? I think where we need to start is just the fundamental belief of our relationship for the money we're asking for. And without getting too like theoretical and talking about money mindset, I think what we have to really functionally think about is our issues with money and our limitations for money and how that actually influences how we communicate money, both in the words we use, but our physical reaction when we're asking for it. And I often think back, one of my very first jobs, I worked at a photography studio right out of high school where I, it was a high school senior portrait studio. It was back when we were still masking negatives with tape. And I remember I had this chance at 18 years old to sit in front of the table and sell photos. So it's back, you had to come look at the photos and I would sell packages. And the average selling price of a package was $500 for photos. While I was there, I increased that to $800. But I remember being like, oh, $500. I think I had spent like $130 on my high school senior photos. And we didn't have money growing up. So the idea of these families coming in, just throwing all this money at it, like that felt very uncomfortable for me. And then one day I had somebody come in who came late. They were driving a beater car. They were, I mean, just all the things that just screamed, they were going to be not, like they're not going to buy a lot. And I worked on a commission. They came in and sat down and I swear in like 45 minutes, they bought six giant 16 by 20 prints for their multiple vacation homes around the world. (laughs) And they spent like, I don't know, $4,200 or something ridiculous And that was the moment where I had the big realization of who am I to one, prejudge what people will pay for something that they want to pay for. And two, just because I'm a broke 18 year old working for $7 and 10 cents an hour, it does not mean that other people are working off of that same budget. So applying this to business or in our situation for fundraising, what we have to really recognize is this tendency, even though we know it's not logical, We think when we're asking someone for money, we're taking something away from them, that people are holding onto their dollars and they're like, oh, you have to convince me to pry it out of my fingers. That's kind of this visual that we have. But when you're fundraising for a nonprofit, you're allowing people to have the opportunity to do good with their money. And it sets a subtle shift. And I know those listening know this to be true, but I want you to really recognize how much are you thinking, like, I have to convince them to part with this money. I have to convince them to give us money. And you are not doing that at all. Your job is to show them why the cause is so important and give them the gift of them being part of it. And that sounds so freaking cheesy, but I will tell you the number one thing that you have to do is show people how they can feel better about themselves, their tax savings, their whatever other benefits come their way by them choosing to fund this cause. You have to help them see themselves as a better organization, a more elevated, exciting philanthropist, whatever version of themselves. You have to paint that picture because it's not about them and the money. It's about who they become when they offer up the money. That's what this is about. So if anyone's struggling with the money piece, what I would start sitting with is what is your relationship with money? Are you having a hard time thinking about, oh my gosh, how would I ever give $50,000 to something? I don't have that in my checking account. Well, you know, that's fine. 
But for the people that do, your job is to not have them give you $50,000. It's to help them identify with who they will like be slash feel when they gift the money to that cause. So I don't know, that doesn't really necessarily answer your direct question, but that's the thing that comes up for me is the, the relationship with money. That's what we're struggling with. So we need to change the conversation. It actually, so much of what you talk about really aligns with my fundraising training principles. I always talk about, I'm an executive coach. So I talk about this cognitive behavior loop and what are the thoughts and beliefs that inform how we feel and then ultimately what we do. And one of the primary ones that really shifted for me in this work that sort of catalyzed what I do now is that great fundraising is not an ask, it's an offer, right? It's about partnership and opportunity and vulnerability and connection. And I think even as organizations move to more community-centric fundraising principles, I think donors are shifting from just like, how does it make me feel in terms of, is this going to make the change in the world that I want to see, right? That people are so frustrated by certain things that are happening around them. And so investing in addressing an issue that's keeping them up at night, that's a gift to give them the opportunity to do that in partnership with you. So I totally agree. I think the way we shift around that and then the other piece you're saying around assumptions and money, I think is so critical. Like the numbers are just the numbers. $50,000, is it a big number or a small number? We can't answer that question, right? That's a perspective decision, right? To me, it's a big number. To other people, it's a really small number. So we need to be careful of the assumptions that we're making around how much we're asking. And I'll just say, fundraisers who are listening to this, I've never seen a donor get upset for being asked for too much. In fact, they're usually incredibly flattered. I've had donors say to me, wow, I am really flattered that you would think I have that much money. (laughs) Or like, I'm really flattered you think about my generosity in that way is something else I've heard. We make all these assumptions, oh, they're going to be so mad if I say that thing. But you're right, that's related to our own money beliefs and what that number means to us personally, as opposed to the lens that the donor is looking through. So I think that is such an important point for folks to hear. And we can make this technical and tangible for a minute, right? So you'd ask before us like, so what should we work on in that conversation? What I would focus on is figure out what phrases you're using specifically in your questions. And I don't know if it's too granular or not, but a lot of times people are going to be asking a yes, no question. Like, would you like to donate? you're going to get a yes or a no. So one of the things that I really want people to think about, I teach this in my speaking programs, is what we want to focus on instead are yes, yes questions. So instead of saying, would you like to donate, yes or no, maybe even offer if you have two uh, sponsorship levels. So describing for donors who contribute in the blah, blah, blah organization that allow us to do X, Y, and Z, right? Paint the picture, asking, would you feel more comfortable at the silver or the bronze level? It's a yes or yes, right? Of course, if they're going to decline, they're going to say no, but don't make that one of your many of choices. So the yes, yes question versus a yes, no question, that would be a little tool to put in your box and practice around how could you make the conversation less awkward, right? And set yourself up for a less awkward no, right? Put um, This is going to sound terrible, but put a little bit of that awkwardness on them, right? If you're like, hey, would you like the gold or the silver level, which feels like a more appropriate donation for you or more appropriate, whatever, right? Put your language to it. They're going to go, oh, and they'll pause. And then they will gracefully say, actually, not at this time. Like, But give them a graceful way to do it, but they don't want to say no. So if you're like, would you like to donate? That's equally awkward for them. So don't put them in that position. Don't put yourself in the position. Try using a yes, yes question. 
Oh, I love that. And I think what's really interesting about that is that especially when folks are meeting with donors in person, if you've gotten that far, the permission has been granted. I talk a lot about getting the right permission before giving people the opportunity to invest. And I think that if you're meeting with someone in person and you've set up that meeting with a clear expectation around what's happening in that meeting, because I do not believe in tricking or surprising donors, right? Then especially in that situation, if you're giving a yes, yes question, then they've opened the door, right? They're excited to make that decision with you. And the other thing I would really suggest for folks, you know, I talk about in my masterclass, the idea of the car salesman and how so many times as fundraisers, we feel like car salespeople and why that is. And I talk about the fact that A car salesperson often makes us feel uncomfortable because they want to sell us the car, whether or not it's the right car for us. That's why we do all the research before we go into the car shop, because we feel like they're going to push a car on us, whether or not it's right for us. And I think for fundraisers, specifically when we talk about how you show up to these conversations, really being focused on alignment. And look, if you're in an earlier conversation with that donor and it is clear, you are not vibing, they are not that into what you are doing, don't give them a yes, yes question, please. Right? Like it's like all of this is also about being relating to the moment that you're in and reading the signs and all of those things. Let's use a dating analogy for this because I, okay, so I resonate with this a lot. So one of the reasons why a lot of uh, people, like they reach out and they're like, Heather, I want to work with you one-on-one or, oh my gosh, I want to learn these things. A lot of this is because I bring that, it's going to sound bad, the used cars been confidence to the table as in my approach with what I do. I just assume that people want to pay me money and work with me. And not in a conceited way or this like egotistical way. I just think, of course, everybody wants to work on their speaking. Of course, everybody would like to have a course. Is that true? I I don't know, but it doesn't serve me not to believe that. So I just believe that. And so when I show up on a call, here's the dating analogy. When I was early, early young dating, it was like, I just want a boy to like me. I just want anyone to like, who cares what I want? Who cares for their character or any questionable dodgy activities? Like, it's just, oh, I want a boy to like me. Versus when you become an adult and you start dating, especially those who dated as grownups. I've been with my husband for 15 years, so I haven't done the whole app dating scene these days. But I know from my friends who are older now dating, they have very clear things where there are their boundaries. This is exactly what they're looking for. And dating is a filtering thing of, nope, that dude's not for me. So you were just describing as a very similar thing. When you're in fundraising or you run a business, you get to go with this idea that I'm a, I'm a package, like I'm a catch. Of course, this is a wonderful thing. And actually these conversations are a way for me to filter out who I work with. And that doesn't mean you're going to reject people and tell them to go away, but you can gracefully help people make a different choice, which might not be working with your organization. You can gracefully put them to a different resource or direct them somewhere else, or just have a really good conversation, wrap things up. And it's not like you're out for that conversation, quote unquote, failing. It was a beautiful opportunity for you to talk about your cause, talk about your organization. And I believe even when you don't get a yes, that's going to have a ripple effect. That person, if you provided a great experience and you brought that magnetism, even if they didn't donate, that will pay off when they talk about your organization to someone else, because most likely over time they will. So if we get more comfortable with this idea that everything doesn't have to be a yes, we don't have to be searching for our soulmates. We're just dating, looking for opportunities. And when we find that jive, we make it a really great experience and it'll naturally work out. With that mindset, it allows you to be more comfortable and bring more of that magnetic quality we've been talking about today. 
I love that. And I think what you were saying at the beginning about the used car salesman energy and that different belief than what I had said, which is, yeah, of course you want what I'm selling because this is a freaking great car and you might not realize it yet or not, but you're going to be so happy once you have it, right? That's even, that is a, a different feel than I think what people perceive when they think about these car salesmen, which is they're trying to trick me into something. Like I've had fundraisers come to me and when they're getting so uncomfortable about having a donor meeting and I'm like, tell me about a purchase you recently made that you like something you've loved that you recently bought. And I had a donor one time, tell me about this bracelet. I was like, tell me all about the bracelet. Like, how did it make you feel? What do you love about it? And so she's like getting all excited about this bracelet. And I'm like, okay, so tell me what the company did to sell you that bracelet. How did they give you an opportunity? Did they do something wrong there? And she's like, no, I guess not. That's what this is. This is just, are we aligned? Do you want to make this choice? Do you want this bracelet? And then when people are making the choice to give from that place too, then it feels really good. The whole thing feels really good. For everyone. And I I love that. I think that's the piece is we, people can feel really good giving money. And I know if you're listening, I know you know that to be true because you could probably think of so many different experiences where you had donors come back and thank you for the opportunity for them to make a difference. So if we focus more on that, and less on the like, oh, it was weird because they rejected me. I, I always say the best way to grow your confidence, if you're ever shaky in those moments, make sure that you're keeping a wins list for yourself of your favorite donors, your favorite clients, or your favorite moments of people, just the words, they, the notes they give, or if they say something, write it down and have yourself a wins folder, because that's what you want to keep front and center when you're going to new and uncomfortable conversations. Remind yourself of what success looks like, what it feels like for other people. And you carry that energy into the awkward or uncomfortable new client meeting or new sales pitch or whatever that looks like. Oh, that is such good advice. And that goes back to an episode we did with Dr. BJ Fogg around habits and behaviors. And he talks about in order to take any action, it's about the relationship between motivation and how easy the behavior is to do. And that motivation is increased with hope and decreased with fear. And so I think what you're talking about is what is your jar of hope when you're having trouble taking a certain action, getting certain words out of your mouth, clicking record on your video, whatever it is, how are you? you building hope within yourself, hope about what's possible when you make that video and put it out there, what's possible when you have that meeting with that prospective donor, that's actually going to help increase your motivation to take the action you're trying to take. I love that. I love that. What a great example. I have to come back and listen to that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's amazing. Okay. There's one thing I really want to make sure you talk about a little bit, which is, I think it's called the 7% rule. If they're preparing for a meeting with a donor and they have, let's say they have 10 minutes before they're going into the donor meeting. How would you suggest they're spending those 10 minutes? What are they focusing on in terms of how they're going to present the best in that meeting? So, okay. The communication that we talk about, right? We said earlier, when it comes to communication, it's the words, it's how we say those words in the body language. So what you're describing is the percentage of each of those categories. So when we speak, 7% of our message is the words we say. 38% is the how we say it. So we are laughing over the pace or the tone or the inflection, all of that, the volume. And then 55% is the nonverbals and the body language. And that all comes from a study done in Southern California at one of the colleges by a a psychology professor in the 70s, but it still holds pretty consistent. So don't get stuck on the numbers being so accurate. 
the spread of those is what I want you to pay attention to. What I find most people do is they obsess with what exactly am I going to say? What's the pitch? What's the ask? What's the setup? How am I going to open? What's the icebreaker question? And all of these can be very powerful, especially if you are newer to this or you have a tendency to get really nervous and fumbly. If you want to write some stuff down to prep, I recommend it. If you do that, I would say focus on key questions and think about, I always say, Focus on your transitions. Don't worry about practicing your content. You know your organization. You know the people that you serve. You know the mission. You know where you can just come alive and talk about it. Don't practice that. You don't need to take notes for that into the room. Stop wasting your time with that. Instead, on your post-it note or things to practice before, think about where do I typically get sticky? Is it that of the 10 minutes, I spend four minutes on how's the weather? Oh, you know, Patty too? Like, ah, and you waste it on icebreakers because you don't know how to start the conversation. This happens all the time. We see people do it. So what I want you to do instead of going, okay, how can I do? It's something we call icebreaker banter in my program. Have a planned icebreaker question because you gotta have one and then go after that weird conversation about the weather or the joke about their sweater or something. I don't know. What's the first line I'm gonna do to jump right into it? What's the question I'm gonna ask? What's the connection? What's that first statement, right? How do you start your gymnastics routine? Like what's that first move? But then you know how to let it flow. What are some follow-up questions? But then you also want to plan that like ask, right? So those are what I would plan with the words. But as you mentioned, the words, it's really only a small part of it. So when you think about prep for, let's say you have a 10 minute meeting, do that prep work in advance, right? Have that done. But the five minutes before you walk into that meeting or right before you jump on a Zoom call, what I want you to think about is close your eyes and imagine the person you're about to meet whether you know them or not, I want you to imagine them. Imagine what their day has been like. Maybe their meeting has been, or day has been back-to-back meetings or their friends. Like imagine you might have to make it up like a completely fictitious example. I don't even care, but you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person and then ask yourself, how can I show up with the right energy in my tone, in my compassion, in my body language, in my presence, through my eye contact? How can I make their day better. And what I find is when you focus on that, naturally your instincts of humanism will take over. And if your mission is to brighten their day and then have this conversation that you've thought about, right? You already know how to talk about it, but now you have some talking points for your sticky parts where you clench your cheeks, right? If you combine those things together and you focus on them, this beautiful thing happens where when you're focused on them and how they might be showing up at the meeting, how they might be feeling, you do not have space or room to focus on what you're thinking, which is you're probably nervous and you're worried they're going to say no or you're going to get it wrong. So what I like to think about is the best way to show up magnetically is to focus on the other person. It's also the secret to quelling your nerves. So if you're scared or you're up in your head or you're afraid you're going to get it wrong, it means you're thinking about yourself. And you and I both know that when you are focused on yourself, you cannot be attractive to other people. You just come across as all caught up in yourself. It's all about you. And you become that used car person who's going to sell them a car regardless if they can need it or they can afford it. But when you think about them, when you really put yourself hypothetically or not in their shoes, you're forced into compassion. And then you communicate that realness and that authenticity and that presence that becomes really powerful. And that's where beautiful conversations happen that don't need to be so perfect. 
Ah, uh, yes, because that empathy, that true curiosity is how you actually bond with someone, right? And have those moments. So yeah, I love that. I love, love, love that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Tell us how can people find you? How can they work with you? And then the question we wrap up with is a shout out to a nonprofit that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Okay. I love this. Over the last couple of years, I've had an incredible opportunity to work with a lot of nonprofits who reach out, um, just also give a shout out to the nonprofits or first to so the blind athletes organization here, athletes foundation in Vancouver, Washington. I had the opportunity to help their founder uh, last year for their virtual fundraiser. They did a big gala every year. It was the most, the biggest way that they raised money and it moved to zoom. And so we worked together on their opening talk and man, they have the largest donating event that they've ever had. So huge shout out for that company. Billy, who runs it, is incredible. So they're near and dear to my heart. If anyone's listening and they're thinking, man, I have a story I want to share. I want to learn how to better articulate it with my audience and just figure out what that sounds like to really feel confident, whether it's for a gala fundraiser or something else. Uh, the best place to go is to my website. It's heathersager.com. You can find resources there. Reach out. We can figure out if you want to work together. But one of the other things that I would say I'm working on right now, uh, it's one of the things I hear people struggle with all the time is filler words totally kill their mojo on their professionalism and getting their message out. So I'm actually working on a free training right now around how to kill those filler words and sound more professional when you're speaking in those business settings or fundraisers. So if anybody wants to get a copy of that, it's not quite done yet. So just shoot me a message on social media. I'm at the Heather Sager on all the platforms. Shoot me a message. Tell me that you saw the show. Give Mallory a shout out and just let me know you want that. And I'll give you the link as soon as it's ready. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And I will make sure all the links stay updated around this podcast as well. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It's such a pleasure to talk with you and thanks for sharing all of your wisdom. It's been great. Likewise. Thanks so much, Mallory. Okay. Are you all as obsessed with Heather as I am? I feel like she was the coach I needed when I started out as an ED. I really appreciate the way that Heather talks about the way our success is limited by our ability to articulate a vision and inspire others to take action. I see this happen so often with nonprofits. There were two other tips that came out in this episode that I want to make sure you didn't miss either. The first one was that I did not realize that the language in our minds is not only built on words. So of course it doesn't come out the same way when we say it for the first time out loud. It is so important to be practicing things out loud. The second one was about perfectionism. I always talk about authenticity over perfectionism, but I hadn't quite realized the way that trust is actually related to this, that we trust people less when they appear too perfect. And actually, let me add a third tip. I loved the way that she encourages us to ask ourselves, how are we when we're at our best and focuses on having us strive for that. Okay, there was so much in this episode, so to get all the detailed show notes from today, head on over to ValerieErickson.com backslash podcast. You'll find more information there about Heather's incredible work, as well as how to connect with her. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you, and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. 
If you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.